So it does kind of lend into what I want to talk to tonight, which has to do with discomforts and imperfection. You know, this first day, uh, like I said at the beginning of the last sit, it's it's a lot. It's really a lot about settling in. It's it's about um, getting into the flow of retreat, giving your body time to get used to the schedule and the amount of sitting. Which I know for a lot of you, this is a lot more sitting that you've than you've done uh, in the past. So this is something your 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 body has to get used to. Your mind has to get used to. So there's a lot of adjusting happening um, today, and it'll continue as the retreat goes on, but um, today in particular, those of you who have been sitting retreat for a long time, you already know. So experienced practitioners just know that first day is a tough one. And, um, and so we bring a lot of ease and kindness to ourselves as we go through the day, just knowing this is uh, part of the retreat experience a lot of the time. So, you know, even though this practice, it can bring a lot of, uh, a lot of ease, can bring concentration, uh, open-heartedness, tranquility, bliss even, it can also bring a lot of discomfort. It can bring in a lot of sleepiness. I know there's been a lot of sleepiness today, so a lot of this kind of going on in the afternoon. And that's totally normal. That's part of the territory. Restless bodies, restless minds. It's all part of the retreat experience. There's nothing that's happening to you that's outside of this retreat. So anything that has happened today that you feel like, oh, this is in the way of my practice, this shouldn't be happening, it's distracting, I would have done it this way, it would have been better, you know. Is there a way to fold all of that in to the retreat experience? Yes. It's all part of the retreat. Nothing is excluded, nothing's left out. And so that brings me to um, my focus this evening. I want to talk about uh, dukkha, this word dukkha. And a lot of you know this word, and some of you don't know this word, so I'm going to introduce it. So the word dukkha, it's a Pali word. And um, it is kind of what it sounds like, dukkha. It's... it's um, it's suffering. It's unsatisfactoriness. Sometimes that's how it's defined. Stress is another way that it's defined. The word dukkha actually literally means a bad wheel or a wheel that's off kilter. I have uh, a five-year-old son, almost six now, almost six-year-old son, and he's had, like everybody else, some COVID birthdays. And um, I think it was on the last COVID birthday, uh, we got him a bike. And because of COVID also, 
uh, like everybody else, we ordered the bike online and then it got shipped to, to where we live. So then we had to put this thing together. And um, I didn't actually put, I say we, <laughs> it wasn't really me, but um, my partner put this thing together. It was, you know, like it was from Ikea or something. Um, really challenging, but we got the thing together right in time for his birthday and then brought it out. And he was so excited about this bike and nothing else, none of the other gifts mattered. It was all about the bike. And so he brings it outside and starts to try and pedal down the street. And it's a, a tricycle. He's still, he hasn't quite figured out the two wheel yet. So he's on the tricycle. So he ha he's not falling over, but I can see as he's pedaling away with the biggest smile, the back tire is just kind of doing this. You know, it's just not on there properly. It's a wheel off kilter. And so he's, you know, kind of doing this as he's going down the, the street. And that image to me is this, the idea of this word of dukkha. It's a friction. It's, it's being off balance, not in alignment with the truth of how things are. It's felt, it feels to me like friction sometimes in my mind dukkha is this friction. I want my experience to be a certain way. I want things to go a certain way, or I think they should be a certain way. I don't want this. I want that. And of course, life is unfolding in its own way, in its own time frame. It doesn't really matter what my preferences are. And um, the more I fight just some of the natural unfolding of things, I'm in this fric friction relationship with what's here. Another way that I experience dukkha is contraction. Um, I feel that in the mind, but also in the body. And since we're doing all these body practices uh, this week, you might bring some awareness to this when there's dukkha, even the most subtle dukkha. It's interesting. I notice when I sit and my mind goes off into thought and I might be having a really pleasant thought, but I'm not present. And there's something about that coming out of my body, coming out of presence that has um, a flavor of dukkha. There's a bit of suffering there somehow. And when I come back, I'll notice I'm just a little bit tighter. You know, my face might be a little bit tight thinking about it. My forehead, I'll notice my shoulders are kind of bunched up. And then, you know, as I bring my attention back and I feel all that, oh, contraction. Oh. I'm coming back into something else, something more at ease with just being here. So we can look for this in our practice. Where am I experiencing this friction? How does that look and feel in the mind? How does that feel in the body? Where is the contraction? The contraction one is, is nice. I'm going to go into all the different ways that dukkha shows up. 
because it does, it appears in, in different forms. But just to simplify it is, oh, contraction. There's, there's something going on there. I'm fighting against something. I'm wanting something else to be here. I'm not satisfied with, with what this is. It's so visceral. And this is, of course, part of those uh, three characteristics of uh, the universal truth of, of uh, all living beings have these characteristics, these kind of laws of nature. Ruth King, our um, fellow teacher, she puts it as, uh, it's not personal, permanent, or perfect. It's not personal, not self. It's not permanent, impermanence. Everything's impermanent. And it's not perfect. That rub with needing things to be what we think would be just right. It's never going to meet that expectation. So this is one of the great insights that we can have through this uh, for elements practice. We get to be in contact with dukkha. And that might sound like bad news, but actually um, it's great news because we're in it anyway. We're experiencing it in our everyday life. We don't need to come to retreat to experience suffering and unsatisfactoriness. It's there. We are so lucky to be here and practicing with this in the way that we are in this uh, supportive environment to be with the discomfort and the ways that um, we're coming up against what's here. Uh, With practice, we're here using our mindfulness. We're here using this, these attitudes in the mind that can hold it with more care and kindness and compassion. We're strengthening these abilities, our resilience to be able to do this, our capacity to do this here, even if it's really hard, even if you feel like that was the worst sit, it doesn't even count. It's not true. It's just not true. The mind that thinks that doesn't fully understand yet. It totally counts. Even those sits where you're just struggling through, even the days, maybe it's been your whole day, that happens. That happens. It's not for nothing. You're learning how to be with this fundamental truth that things are not perfect according to maybe how you hold perfection. I mean, the reality is it is just perfect. It's just how it's supposed to be because it is. But that's not what our mind wants to do with it. It wants to fix it, right? It wants to get rid of it, you know, if you uh, poke a worm, it you know moves out of the way. This is just part of life. We 
see discomfort, we feel discomfort, and we want to get away from it. We want to make it better. And that makes total sense. You know, that's pretty intuitive, actually. And so this practice is asking us to be with uh, the dukkha in a different way. And that takes time. Most of us have learned a very different way, that the pushing away, um, you know, let's stack as many nice moments as possible. Let's just go for um, feel-good experience. Most of us are in cultures that really support that. That's what, that's what um, is valued. And this practice is asking us to do it differently. It's asking us to turn towards the difficult, to be with the dukkha, to understand it. When we understand what it is, how it got there, how it's uh, working inside of us, what are our habits around it, we can start to untangle our minds, untangle what's going on here, have clarity. Oh, this is actually what this is. The more and more we have clarity, the more we can release our, our grasp that is causing this friction. This is freedom. So even in these difficult sits, even in the ones that feel worthless, you're still cultivating this. You're working towards this. So we start by working with it by just recognizing it. We have to know that it exists first. We have to know, okay, there's dukkha here. Even if it's not clear what it is, just knowing There's friction here. There's contraction here. I know that it's here. This isn't ease. This isn't uh, expansive, open heart, uh, open mind. This is something else. So that seems simple, but it's not always. Sometimes we normalize uh, these states of dukkha. They just seem normal. They go under the radar because it's just what we're used to. And so you're here and you are so focused in on what's going on in your internal world. Not all the distractions are gone, but a lot of them are. And so it intensifies your awareness of just how much dukkha is actually present. You are right now learning where is the dukkha. You're becoming familiar with it. So we recognize it. This is dukkha. I know this is, this is something here. And then next, it helps to have some understanding of what this, the particular dukkha is. You know, so we go from, okay, there's contraction here to something maybe a little more refined. So I'm going to go through some possibilities, and I'm probably not going to hit all of the possibilities the ways that dukkha shows itself. So there's just, in in the teachings of the Buddha, there's this acknowledgement that 
just being in this human body, karmically, there is dukkha. There is suffering. We're born. That's painful for everyone involved. That's a painful experience. Uh, We age. Our bodies, over time, they, they don't work in the same way. And that doesn't even start at a particular age, you know, even, uh, you know, you can be really young and have something stop working well. You could be in your 80s and and start to notice it. So it's not like it's going to land on a particular timeline. Our bodies are constantly aging and changing and functioning until they're dysfunctioning. That's just part of being human. There's sickness. Boy, do we understand that on a whole other level. Just the fragility of these bodies. They're resilient. They're, they're, you know, they've been through a lot. I bet you all have stories about what you've put the body through. So they, they are resilient, but they're also, um, there's a fragility to life and health. And then, of course, there's death and the process of death. That can be, sometimes it's, it's painless and a lot of the times it comes with um, a lot of discomfort, a lot of pain, confusion. And we don't get to choose. So this is part of being a human being, a sentient being. You know, our animal friends experience the same thing. And then there's the dukkha of how we relate to all that, how we relate to the discomforts, the dysfunctioning, the imperfections, um, the changes, our impermanence. What is our relationship with this truth of being in this human form? Uh, This includes the mind, you know, our relationship with the mind and what it does. We don't, It's not like we're sitting here choosing all these mind states. Well, now I'm just going to have a horrible thought. (laughs) I'm not sitting here trying to conjure that up. It's just what the mind was ready to do in that moment. And maybe there was some activity or some way you cultivated that through time. And then there it appeared. It was birthed. But in the very moment, that's not what you're choosing. So these imperfections of being human, our humanness, what's our relationship with it? Do we identify as being the only one, that we're alone somehow in this humanness? There's a lot of dukkha in that. Sylvia Borstein, another um, fellow teacher and elder here at Spirit Rock, she reminds us that life is painful. That's just one of the truths. Life is painful, but suffering is optional. So this word dukkha gets used in a lot of different contexts, but 
as far as a freedom from dukkha, it's this optional bit. As long as we're in this life, we're going to have that aging, sickness, old age, um, and death. That's part of the deal. But the suffering that comes from all that, that is optional. If you know how to practice with it, if you know how to see clearly what's really going on, So I mentioned that dukkha is unsatisfactoriness, that wanting of, of something different. It's very much connected to um, control. You know, how many of you on this retreat so far didn't found yourself not in as much control as you'd like to be of what was going on? And what was that like? <laughs> yeah. This is a great place of, for dukkha. This false sense of control. It's not that we're completely out of control of things. We have agency. That's in alignment with karma. That our actions have consequences, positive or negative. But how much control we are really in, that's where I think the illusion sets in. That maybe if we could just make this happen, if we could just plan enough, then it'll go exactly how I want it to go. If, you know, this person did it the way I'd like them to do it, then their life would be better and my life would be better. You know, it shows up in a lot of different ways. And I say all of those examples with great kindness because I've experienced them myself. You know, this is just part of our humanness. It's part of the illusion of being that we have that much control. There's so much dukkha in that. And then the fear of losing control. Oh, the fear that comes up when we realize, oh, I'm not in that kind of control. That's scary. It's scary until we realize that actually we can rest, we can let go into it. There can be room there for more trust. More equanimity. But that takes time. That takes time and cultivation. So there's all these different layers of dukkha that we end up working with here. So this can show up as tanha, as craving. Oh, I just, I want this. If I just have this, then this will be better. You know, if I can have just the right pillow assortment, then my sits will be perfect. If the temperature in the room would just be at this degree, then everything would be fine. You know, if I could get back to what I did in that last sit that was so blissful and now I'm, I'm, my mind is all over the place. If I could just go and do exactly what I did last time, then you know, this will all work out. This wanting, this craving, we're never 
living in the present moment when we're craving. When we're craving, we're, we're leaning forward all the time, leaning forward to, to some kind of future that will finally satisfy us. In the meantime, we're missing everything. We're missing our lives. We're missing the beauty that is existing in the moment, the ease that is possible in this moment, the awakening that is possible in this moment. As long as we're doing this, there's no room for anything else. I'm sure we've all experienced at times even finally getting what we wanted And before we can fully enjoy it, we're already reaching out to get more or get the next best thing. And so we're missing even the things we really wanted, fully experiencing, enjoying, delighting in our lives. This is craving. And kind of the... the Uh, other side of the same coin is aversion. So I want this and I don't want this. Get rid of it. No thank you. We do a lot of stuff to get rid of what we don't want. Discomfort, insecurity. Um, Either we ignore it, we don't want to see it, we kind of put it to the side and just pretend maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe if I don't give it my attention, it'll just go away. Other times we go into fix-it mode. Maybe you've had a to-do list running in your mind of how you're going to approach something and and fix it and uh, make it better that way. We can spend a lot of time in fix-it mode. And of course, what's fixing it? You know, a mind that's clear or a mind that's aversive and contracted, trying to figure out what to do or how to fix something with a contracted mind just amplifies it, just puts you in this cycle of aversion. But it's hard to see that when we're in it, you know. These are all the different ways this shows up. Sometimes it shows up as longing or disappointment. Sometimes it's numbness. We just can't deal can't be with this go into this real protective place the mind and the body and the heart they all work together and say I can't even go there there's something really dear about that you know we have all these ways that our mind and our heart are trying to protect us all the time all those hindrances that Bonnie talked about this morning I think that was this morning Seems a long time ago. <laughs> but that aversion, that greed, the restlessness, you know, the sloth and torpor, the doubt, it's it they're all these ways. They're just they're not they're just not really functional in terms of awakening. They're not functional in terms of awakening. 
but there's something very dear about them. It's all these ways that we've learned over time to protect ourselves. It's just not out of wisdom. And so we're having to slowly see what, what is this actually and what can I really do here that isn't um, feeding these hindrances. I went through a time of um, really intense illness for about six months. Um, this was a number of years ago. It turned out to be parasites. I spent a lot of time in Thailand, and I came home with some really um, wild parasites. And um, no one could figure out what was going on with me, but um, my body hurt all over. My skin felt like it was on fire. I would get these fevers. I was exhausted all the time. I would get everything, all the colds and flus. I just didn't have, my immune system was just shot. So this was going on for, for a while, and it just seemed like, you know, it was hard. It was dukkha. It was body dukkha. It was dukkha on many levels of illness. But the thing that I think was the most painful was my relationship with it over time because it started to become more and more chronic was this um, real hatred and anger about it. I didn't like it. I wanted it to go away. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't control it. I was not in control of my body. And that was really upsetting. I was not in a good place with it. It just felt like it would never end. And, And, you know, sometimes it is that way with illness. You know, we, we live with something to the day we die, and we just don't know. We don't know how it'll unfold, if it'll get better, especially with mysterious things. And so I just remember being in that place of this is forever, and how will I ever come to terms with this? And so I am fortunate to be able to look back on that being healthy again, um, and, you know, that has its, its own perspective and privilege to be able to look at that time from, from this viewpoint and be able to say, you know, there was the pain in the body, but the pain in the mind, the relationship with what was going on was far more painful than what was going on actually physically. I can see that now. And this is what we do. And we, and we do this in a lot of different areas of our lives. This is dukkha. And when we know the way, it is optional. But only when we know the way. There's another type of Dukkha that is um, connected with this mental proliferation that's born out of the craving. So it's, it's when it gets really heightened and we just get fixated on something. And it, it's hard to break out of it. And this is not uncommon on retreat. I remember having a conversation with a dear friend who 
sat a week-long retreat and was so excited to go. And right before she left, her and her partner got into some something, some argument. And I, you know, I don't even know how how big it was. Uh, and but they didn't make up. And she went on the retreat, and she said it started as this little kind of nagging thought in the back of her mind. And every now and then she'd kind of say, yeah, let's go there. And she'd let it rip. And um, she'd relive the argument. And then they said this, and then I said this, and, you know, going through the whole thing. And she said, the more I fed it, you know, and I would feel the anger come in about it and the, the righteousness of I was right here. She said, you know, um, the, more, the more I kept feeding these thoughts and actually enjoying it, even though you, know, you can imagine the contraction that must have been in there, but there's something that was so nice about it. There was something, you know, she said, I could put my teeth in it. It was something I could put my teeth in and it was entertaining and she said, I found, I found myself mid-retreat. It was all I could think about. It was this papancha, this, this kind of, um, uh, it, it had a life of its own. And she was stuck in this whirlwind of argument. Now it had gone beyond the original argument. She was having continuous arguments <laughs> with her partner that just kept big, getting bigger and bigger. And... Um, I think she was pretty bad by the time she went home, and I think they figured it out <laughs> that it wasn't as bad, actually, as she had made it in her mind. But um, just the amount of dukkha there, uh, that when we feed, when we allow the mind uh, and, and feed it, and we do that sometimes unconsciously because, it, in a way, we're comfortable with our dukkha. Like there's something exciting about it sometimes, especially in this kind of uh, thought process. There's something that draws us in. There's a little more drama there than what's going on, you know, with water element. <laughs> it's entertaining. So we can be really cozy with our dukkha. That's real. And so this seeing what it is and understanding, this is not the way. And, and being confident in ourselves that we want something else. We want happiness. We want ease. You know, we want to be present for our life. We want wisdom. When we can be really confident in that and choose that and continue to come back to that and choose that, uh, that's where we are, that's when we're able to make a change. We stop feeding these dukkha mind states. Okay. Uh, I actually have another half page of ways that dukkha arises, but I think I'm going to move on to the next part. So, 
Okay, so we're working with dukkha. We recognize it. We start to untangle it. What What is the dukkha exactly? We start to understand it. We get curious about it, you know? It's not like, oh, this is ruining my retreat. We we turn to it. Okay, what is this? You're, you're distracting. You're kind of in my face. Oh, it's dukkha. Okay, I see. This is... This is the kind of dukkha this is. So we look at it. We get a little clarity around it. And so uh, from there, sometimes just knowing it, you know, is that you see it in mythology all the time. We call it by its name and it unravels it disappears, it loses its power over us. We call it what it is. And that clarity just cuts through. Sometimes it works like that. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it takes healing. We can fold these experiences in to um, the parts of ourselves that know how to be kind, the parts of ourselves that know how to be a good friend or compassionate or even loving. Maybe, maybe that's not a strength towards yourself yet, but we all have it. We all have these parts of ourselves within us and they come out with different people or our beloved pets or you know just in different ways maybe maybe it's not so hard for you maybe you're someone that bringing compassion to your suffering is really easy and wonderful but wherever you are on on all that um, it's in you you have this this is part of our humanness too It's our ability to befriend, to be compassionate, to share in the joy when there's happiness present, to be equanimous, have kind of this larger view and understanding of what's going on here, staying connected in the heart. You care deeply, actually, about your well-being. And I say that with total confidence because you wouldn't be here if you didn't. It's what gets you here. So everybody here cares about their well-being. It might not always feel like compassion. That might feel like a big word. Or love. That might feel like a big word too. But you do care. And so there's a way when we turn towards the difficult that we can fold that in to that care and be with it in a different way than pushing it away or trying to fix it, get get rid of it, make it pretty, whatever our tendency is. Bhante, Bhante Gunaratana, he says, oh, Be gentle with yourself. Be kind to yourself. You may not be perfect, 
but you are all you've got to work with. The process of becoming who you will be who you will be begins first with the total acceptance of who you are. That's what you're doing here. You're working with these elements, working in the body in this, in this way. It might seem like a stretch from earth and water to acceptance of who you are of having this capacity to be with the imperfect of life. But I promise there is a a complete through line from one to the other, that as you're practicing this mindfulness of body, you are also coming into contact with all of this. And it will unfold as the days go forward. So I'm going to end really um, soon. But I want to leave you with a bit of compassion practice so that when these states come up, when the dukkha is here, you're feeling that contraction, that you know what to do with it. So I want to give you just a simple practice here. You don't have to move into your posture. You can stay right where you are if you want. It's up to you. But I am going to ask you to bring your attention inward. And we won't stay here long. This will be short. Bring your attention inward and just notice right now in the body, are there places of contraction? Is the mind contracted? Is there some friction that you've been encountering today that you can recognize? Is there a place in the body where that friction or contraction is being housed right now? If you want, you can bring a hand there or both hands and just come in contact with whatever it is. And you can feel that care that you have for your well-being going straight from your hand to this place that is struggling. Sometimes it even helps to say it in your mind, I do care for my well-being. I care about this suffering. Breathing into it. Maybe even recognizing it, calling it, what it whatever it is. Oh, it's aversion, it's doubt, it's sadness, fear, it's restlessness. It's everything. It's all the things, all in one. We call that a hindrance attack. And then breathing into it with this care. You feel the tenderness come forward. There doesn't have to be so much protection and pushing away. You don't have to mask it. There can be this tenderness as you hold it with your attention and your care. This is when that care really starts to turn into 
real compassion. You can stay with the feeling of that if you'd like, but um, sometimes when it feels hard to do in your mind, you can come up with a caring phrase, something that this part of you is needing to hear or something that you, the whole of you, is just needing to put into intention, like, may I hold this difficulty with compassion and care? Or maybe it's something like, may I feel safe? Whatever, whatever is needed. This is one of the ways we can come into a healing, come into contact fully with these parts of ourselves without having to run away or shy away. Fold it all in while you're here. Reach out to us when you can't. So we'll just take a moment here to let the words settle. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.